All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to MoneyWise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I would typically turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. But since he's off for this weekend show, I will go into the numbers. So in the week just past, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down just over 571 points, down 1.7%. The S&P 500 was down 61 points, or 1.4%. And the NASDAQ was down 197 points, or a negative 1.4%. Now, for year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 1.8%. The S&P 500 is up 13.3%. And the NASDAQ, still leading the pack out of the major indexes up 28.9%. Well, Joe, could you say that this was a little bit of uh, some profit-taking week this past week on Wall Street? Well, a little bit of profit-taking and more like a typical July when we have a, a little bit of a sell-off. But July, I mean, you mean June. You're already I mean, thinking June. ahead. I'm already thinking July. Man, you're already, look at that. You already think it two steps ahead. Yes, well, in June, it, well, I was going to say, the, the old saying is the June swoon and when you look historically, June as a month by itself is typically the worst month for stocks. Uh, but actually, the month of June has been has been a very solid month. And of course, next week being the last week uh, of the second quarter, as Dad would always say, kind of it's it's a football game. So we're going to be coming up to the halftime for 2023, ending the second quarter. Well. June typically is pretty slow. July is pretty slow. And it's it, it just, it's your typical sort of your summer pattern. I will say, you look at some of the AI stocks, they sold off a little. Some of the AI specific stocks sold off Friday. And you are seeing some profit taking. And you know, you should. I mean, I think if some of the run in the tech sector, especially AI related, or we call it the AI halo, you know, how much is enough for you? You want to be up 100%. You want to be up 200%. 
start trimming some of those positions in that. I think to your point, that's what we're saying. So, well, I know we, I know we don't quote Jim, Jim Cramer too much on this show, but he's always said bears make money, bulls make money and hogs get slaughtered. And we've done some profit taking throughout this past year and some of these names, and we might be doing some more next week, but I, you know, I can tell you looking back historically, there always seems to be a little bit of a typical pattern, particularly the last week of June, which is the ending of the second quarter, the first half of the year, there typically is a little bit of a sell down. Now, where things, where I feel things might be a little different this year is how underinvested so many investors have been in the stock market all year. I mean, we've talked about on past programs how up until not this past week, but the prior week, all the year before, just going back two weeks, we were seeing nothing but net negative outflows from stock mutual funds and stock exchange traded funds. And we finally started seeing some net positive inflows two weeks ago. Now, this past week, we saw, again, some profit taking, some selling down. I can report from a volume standpoint, this is not, again, longer-term investors getting out. This was more of a trader's market this past week. And actually, Joe, I would say that the market, from just from my analysis, was doing and it was having more movement and trading based on what other central banks were doing over in Europe, <clears throat> particularly the ECB raising their interest rates a half of 1% and some of the other central banks overseas. Now, you know, sometimes the market just needs an excuse to sell, but let's, let's, not, let's not kid ourselves. The market has had a very nice strong run in the month of June, and there's, you know, as I've always said, you can't climb a mountain all in one day. You can't climb Mount Everest. There's going to be points in time where you have to take a little break. You have to kind of climb back down the mountain a little bit, find your base camp. That's the support level for the market before you catch your breath and you start climbing back higher. And we're still staying well above the support level. I mean, obviously, a good support level would be at 4,300. The next support level for the S&P 500 is 4,200. And again, we were able to maintain and stay above that 4,300 uh, support level for the S&P 500. So we'll see what happens next week. Well, and part of it is the, you remember, we're talking about the market weight at S&P too. So anyway. Well, yeah, and, and again, and we've been talking about that all year, how there's just been such a small handful of stocks that have been driving over 90% of the return of the S&P 500. And through Friday, the equally weighted, uh, the equally weighted S&P 500 has a year-to-date return less than 5%. And so what we've been talking about on the last few weeks on the MoneyWise program is when other parts of the market are going to start catching investors' interest because there is still some fundamentally rock-solid companies with fantastic valuations that are ripe for the picking, that have well, a lot of great upside potential that, that are negative year-to-date. Well, I was just checking the equally weighted S&P ETF that we used to own, and it's down, I mean, I mean it's up 2.5% for the year. So it's a little okay. bit lower than 5 So, so, it's, so, it's, so it's even lower than just the index itself. That, that, that's as of Friday's close, yeah. So. Yeah, and, and as we've said, and we've even said on this program of, you know, just talking about dad. You know, dad's only been in the market since, you know, what, late 1972, beginning of 1973. So he's got a little bit of history in the market, and he said that this is one of the most perplexing markets because we've had such a rifle approach 
to the growth in the market so far this year, not a shotgun approach. And so, you know, it's going to be real. I'm going to be real curious. Uh, I'm real curious to see what happens next week. If we're going to see any type of window dressing of longer term managers, mutual fund managers, other portfolio managers that have been woefully under allocated to stocks, maybe picking up some positions. Um, I do want to talk about the Fed, but of course, I'm going to save it for the second segment. So dad can't accuse me of jumping right in on the Fed in the first segment. And so I do want to talk about a little bit about Jay Powell's testimony that occurred this past week under, you know, a couple of different uh, congressional subcommittees where, uh, where he went and uh, gave some commentary this past week. So let's talk about that when we come back from the commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in to this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from this past week, we had a down week across the board. Dow down 1.7%, S&P down 1.4%, and the NASDAQ down 1.4%. So we saw some profit taking. We're still well within a support level of the S&P 500. You know, it closed on Friday well above the 4,300 level, which is one support level. Next support level is at 4,200, which was the magic number that the market had been trying to get above going back to, you know, beginning of last year. And so it took us more, you know, well more than a year just to get back to the 4,200 level. And I would say for any of the home gamers, 4,300 down to 4,200 are going to be support levels for the market. Even though we had a down week, volume was actually very, very light. Um, And so, you know, again, you're going to see some profit taking, people not being too greedy, investors not being too greedy with some of the meteoric rises and increases that we've seen in some of these AI stocks. But I would say, Joe, a lot of this week's selling, I think, was more driven by the algorithms and the traders based on central bank decisions overseas. As I was saying in the last segment, when we saw, you know, half a ba- you know, half of uh, a half of a percent increase or 50 basis point increase at e- the ECB, European Central Bank, and some of the other foreign central banks increasing their interest rates. Well, and you also saw had Powell testifying in front of Congress again, and he kind of reiterated his, his hawkish pause, if you will. Hawkish pause, skip, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And, you know, and most of the Fed governors are all, I mean, a majority of them obviously think we're going to raise, you know, uh, another one to two more times. So I think that coupled with the ECB, you get a little bit of a sell-off and some and, but, and, and, and some profit taking. I mean, it, it had to happen. So yeah, it, it it had to happen. But 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 here's the thing: did did Chairman Powell say anything different in front of Congress this past week? No, no, he didn't say anything different than he said in his press conference two weeks ago. So I, I, I mean, 
again, this is why I say it's going to be more of the algorithms that are tied into AP feeds and, and different things coming out in the news and then what's happening over in Europe. But, I mean, really the bottom line is, is they're dealing with a much bigger and badder inflation problem in the in the eurozone than we are dealing with here. I mean, their inflation is still close to double digits. So well, we got we're, we're further ahead of the curve. See, that's the thing. The ECB, the European Central Bank, they were much slower to begin raising interest rates when the Fed here in the U.S. started raising rates March of 2022. The ECB was kind of holding pat. And so now they're dealing with the same inflation levels that the U.S. dealt with last summer when we were showing 8 9%. Now, you know, we've got a core, we got a core uh, inflation that's below 5 And so it's moving in the right direction. And well, so go ahead, Joe. One particular uh, point that I was paying attention to last week, I'm talking about the housing market, right? And you look at where rates are. Well, we've raised rates Lord knows how many times. And you look at where mortgage rates are on a 30-year, on a it's 7. I saw it's a little bit below 7 now. And, that's the, and if you look at the, the, the housing market, well, what's going on with the housing market? Houses are still expensive. They're not coming down, all right, due to these raises. Right. So the tool, the tool that the the Fed has to to help with rates and keep inflation in check is not helping on the housing market maybe the way they thought it would. So therefore, you know, you can understand a little bit more sticky inflation out, uh, uh, outlook with what's going on. I mean, and honestly. Back in the day, and you know, you know, I both have a good friend that, that used to be in the mortgage business, and we have friends in their mortgage business. They remember five or six percent was not all that high, you know, no. 15, 20 years ago. So, no, it wasn't, it, it wasn't. And I think, and I agree with you, Joe, and I think the homeowner has gotten spoiled over the last 10 years of just these obscenely low interest rates when the federal when, when, when the uh, when the Fed had a zero interest rate policy, which I don't know when, if ever, we'll go back to a zero interest rate policy. So I think the homeowner better get used to seeing five and a half, six and a half, seven percent mortgage rates. And if and, you're twenty five or thirty years old, and you in the last fifteen years you haven't seen rates like this, get ready. You know, and they, they've well, never seen that ever. So well, at least I, not I, when they've been able to actually buy anything. Well, and I read a statistic this past week that the average mortgage that's currently enforced right now has an interest rate below four. So the the biggest problem is with existing home sales. I mean, right now nationwide, they have inventory around three months. Now, typically, you want to have at least a six months worth of existing home inventory. That's kind of the equilibrium from a national standpoint. Well, we have inventory of three months in some areas, less than three months, because folks that don't have to sell their house don't need to sell their house. They're not selling their house because they have a mortgage on average that's going to be below 4%. Why would you sell your home with a 35 4% mortgage to go buy another one at 7 And so this is why we have such an inventory issue of existing home. Homes now for the home builders. I mean, what if the home yeah. building stocks done all year? They, they have, well. and they have lit off the launch. Yeah, they've lit off they're the launch pad. Pretty smart, exactly. Actually, so they're, they're doing their own. In, they're doing their own in-house financing. But see, what they're doing is they're passing the extra interest cost into the price of the home, and so it's more of a psychological situation yeah. for the buyer because they're like, oh. Well, I'm getting a four and a half percent mortgage with whatever the national builder is, or I'm getting four and a quarter 
but they're still actually paying a 7% well, mortgage. That it, extra it, percentage it, is going into the cost of the home. That, that's, that same house might have cost 20% less two to three years ago. So there you go. So There you go. It, but but see that the home builders are still running to the same situation. I mean, we still have elevated costs for materials. We still have elevated costs for workers, finding workers, getting people off the couch. You know, especially the skilled trades, because you and I both know, Joe, that there is a real lack of skilled trades as far as people to work in the skilled trades across this country. You know, and I wish. I wish from a high school level there would be more vocational high schools. They would teach kids, hey, if you want to go to college, great. But if you don't and you don't want to go in the military, here's a great vocation. Become a master electrician. Become a plumber. You know, become become a brick mason. I mean, these skills we need and we're going to continue to need to the end of time. We just have to educate the, the younger youth that you can make a really good, solid living and, and a very respectable career you know, being in the being in the trades. And, and I think and that's where our education system is failing our younger people. Oh, I agree. And in the last week, I've done quite a few enrollment meetings and and across a lot of different industries. But you're seeing that the skilled trades, the, the, the turnover is pretty high. They can go get another job, job and get paid more somewhere else. And some of these companies are having to become a lot more creative and they're having to get with the ball game about having a much more competitive benefits package from the healthcare perspective and a 401k perspective, but some have pensions and they have to keep up. And, uh, but I've seen just, you know, our own client base, I've seen them evolve and actually they're doing a better, they're doing everything they can to recruit and they're spending, they're spending money in the right places on HR and recruiting, which in the long term, if they get a, just a core group of the right people is going to benefit them tremendously. But I agree with you, the whole, the, the education system has failed. And you know what? There are a lot of people sitting around doing nothing. I'm like, look, we need workers. We need to get houses built, but I'm, you know, there's a lot of other things that we need to get done uh, as well. I mean, it, it's, it's tough. So, well, and, and, and we're still sitting here with 10 million unfilled jobs, you know, and, and I know some of the testimony that, that Chairman Powell gave to Congress, you know, a lot of them were questioning, like, do we need to see some destruction of jobs to get inflation down? Yep. And, and actually, Powell finally admitted, we don't necessarily have to see the destruction of jobs. Now, the Fed, of course, would prefer not to see the destruction of jobs, but they are so laser focused on getting inflation down to their 2% two percent target in such a quick period of time but here's the thing you know what they need to do first off is they need to raise their mandate which we have harped on this program for i don't know how many months now actually probably more than a year they need to raise their target to three percent which is more in line with the long-term core pce gauge of inflation that the fed has traditionally used at setting interest rate policies is the core PCE, which is running around 3.2% historically. So we're, why they came up with two, you know, I'm not going to argue that on this program, I mean, but, that, but they need to, they should do that because if they did that, we'd be much closer. Every little 401k educational piece I've gone over the last week, they uh-huh. inflation historically at about 3% to 3.5%. There you go. But I guess Powell, Powell obviously had read our 401k education books. Who love the baby Jesus. <laughs> You know what? Maybe Joe, I think we need to get all the Fed governors together, including Jay Powell, and you need to go in, you need to do a meeting and teach them that 3% is a more normalized long-term monetary inflation target that they should be focused on instead of this 2%. But at least... 
Only Go if ahead. we get a consult. Only if we get a, consult, a consulting fee. Consul- I, want, well, I want. I want D- Davidson Capital Management to cut of that. Okay? We, I, I think. I think we would have a lot to say if we had an opportunity to go in there and educate these Fed governors on how they should be doing things. But with that, let's take our next commercial break. You're listening, to Money Wise, with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So just looking at this past week with the market being down, profit-taking, very light volume, still staying above support levels, uh, 4,300 on the S&P 500. You know, I would say for any of our any of our listeners that are managing their own portfolios that have been under-allocated to stocks, you know, this is, again, another opportunity to just be dollar-cost averaging, just slowly and incrementally adding to your equity positions. Now, for us and a moderate asset allocation portfolio here at Davidson Capital Management, we are still below a 50% allocation, ranging right around the 47 to 48% allocated to stocks. But as I've said on, on all the programs this, you know, this year is how our equity portfolio is allocated is we're really straddling the fence between growth value and really primarily focused in GARP or growth at a reasonable price. Very, you know, attractively valued stocks, a lot of them pay dividends. Um, and so you can actually build some, you can have stock exposure, but you can do it in a much more conservative fashion with proper diversification between the different asset classes. And so, you know, I'm real curious, Joe, going into the last week of the second quarter of this year, you know, we're getting to halftime. If we're going to be seeing any kind of window dressing, we're going to be seeing some rebalancing of portfolios. I was about to mention rebalancing. You'll see some of that. Yeah, some some buying coming in because I did read a very interesting statistic this past week that I wanted to pass on to all of our listeners. And this, this statistic goes all the way back to 1980. So this has quite a bit of history, and what the and and what this statistic shows is that any year the S and P five hundred comes to to halftime, gets to the end of the second quarter, and is up fifteen percent. Any time this has occurred since nineteen eighty, one hundred percent of the time the market ends up positive with an average return of 23%. So think about that. If we can get the S&P to close at the end of June, end of the second quarter, up 15%, that going back to 1980, the market ends the year in positive territory 100% of the time with an average return of 23%. So if we end at 15 and it's an average year, the S&P 500 would end up the year at another 8% in total return. Essentially, what you're saying is this last week of the quarter, going into the 4th of July, stay tuned for next Friday's show of Money Wise, because 
and, and we're right there. The S and P's up a little over fourteen percent for the year. We're right on that on that uh, precipice, if you will, if, if seeing the S and P go to twenty three percent. So now, now know. the market, now the market that you know we we have a, a great love for market history. Now the market doesn't repeat itself; it rhymes. You know that's the old saying on Wall Street. And I know that there's still a lot of naysayers out there. I mean, whether it's Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley that is still extremely bearish. And, and I'm not going to sit here and, and, and tell all of our listeners that we have rose-colored glasses on. I mean, we, we received another uh, leading economic indicator that was negative. I believe this is now 15 in a row that we have seen negative uh, leading economic indicators. I mean, with the inversion of the yield curve, I mean, all signs are pointing that a recession is coming. But as I said on last weekend's show, the $64,000 question is, when is that going to occur? And how deep is it going to be? You know, I would say at the pace that inflation is coming down and the fact that there's a high probability we're going to see an interest rate increase in July by the Federal Reserve. Uh, obviously, August is another month where they don't make a decision because they have the Jackson Hole Symposium uh, at the end of August, and then their next rate meeting would be in September. So between now and September, we could see two more interest rate increases. And, and I would say that maybe this past week was some of the market pricing that in, the potential for an interest rate increase. I think there could be debate. Was this sell down this past, this little bit of a sell off this past week? Some of the more bullish uh, investors out there coming to the realization that the Fed is not going to be cutting interest rates, which of course we've stood on record on this program saying there is no way. There's, yeah, exactly. From the day one, the very first year first week of the new year that the Fed, there's no I mean, way, shape, or form they're going to from, be cutting interest rates in from, 23. From the, from the group that brought you transitory inflation, they're not going to pivot, and they're going to go ahead and lower rates by the end of the year. Yeah, then, again, though, then again, though, never say never. You know, there's well, 2018. The so. only way the only way that would happen is that there is some type of precipitous fall in inflation, and we get to the 2% target a lot sooner than most economists and experts would, would have anticipated, or we have the economy completely fall off a cliff. Now, not to scare any listeners, we do not think in any way, shape, or form the economy is going to be falling off of a cliff because some of the same data points that I have just been beating like a dead horse on this program, whether it's the excess savings still running into the trillions of dollars, the fact we have 10 million unfilled jobs, employment is still very strong, and I think this excess savings and the employment picture being as strong as it is will be kind of some of the saving grace for when the economy, which we feel will eventually go into a recession, will keep it very mild. Or we could see more of a rotating recession throughout time moving forward in different sectors. You know, we saw housing reset. You know, we saw the house, the home builders kind of go through their recession last year. And now they've just been knocking the cover off the ball from a stock standpoint. And so we could see that. Um, well, I, if, if I was a betting man, if I was a betting man, I think that the soonest, the earliest we could see any type of potential recession is going to be possibly first, second quarter of 2024. I don't think we're going to get there this year. Well, I would, I would tend to agree. And one of the things that you pointed out two or three shows ago is maybe we're seeing recession by industry. 
You know, mm -hmm. we've seen the housing market go through a recession last year, at least the home builders. So maybe we're seeing this sort of segmented and disjointed because guess what? You know, we're sitting through an unprecedented time when you've had COVID. You have Ukraine in a war with Russia or let's just say Russia instigating a war with Ukraine. And then you have supply chain issues. You have China not doing what everybody thinks China's going to do. Look at their GDP and what's going on overseas. I was, I was having a couple of meetings and people are asking me about emerging markets again. So you're seeing a lot of different factors in there. And, you know, and what do we get? We get, you know, we get a little bit of upside this year, but we're, we're more or less sort of in a range. So anyway, but, but, but it's also, but that upside is again, highly concentrated in one particular industry, yeah. Yeah, just a handful of stocks, which really mu pretty much revolve around a particular type of industry sector. And that would be technology and artificial intelligence. So we need to start seeing the rest of the market participating. And I thought a couple of weeks ago, we started to see the breadth of the market starting to spread and started to see, you know, small caps started to have a nice run. And they've still had a really nice run for the month of June. You know, we maybe started to see some of the value names, you know, some of the better valued from a valuation standpoint stocks starting to get some attention. And so, you know, going into the second quarter of 2023 earnings, which we won't get to for weeks and weeks, you know, we got to get well past the 4th of July holiday before those earnings start coming in. I'm curious to see if we're going to see another earnings recession, you know, another negative quarter of earnings growth, or if we're actually going to finally see it tick into positive territory. Because as far as the Fed is concerned, I, I kind of feel like they're out of the picture now. They raised one time, maybe twice, maybe increase the federal funds rate to five and three quarters, five and a half, five and three quarters. We're almost there. I mean, for all intents and purposes, the Fed is pretty much done, even if they have two more rate increases to go. So then it's going to be a focus on, okay, what is the E? What is the earnings? Mm -hmm. You know, are they go? You know, are these companies going to be able to justify their valuation moving forward? And so, second quarter twenty twenty three earnings are going to be extremely critical. I think this is another reason, Joe, why we have still been in a defensive posture all year. Now we have slowly and methodically increased our allocations to stocks across all of our allocation models. But for all intents and purposes, looking at the history of Davidson Capital Management going back 34 years, even in our moderate allocation, this is the longest period of time we have been at this light of an equity allocation for this extended period of time. Because we're talking at a period of time now, Joe, going over a year. Well, and if you see a narrowly traded market where seven to 10 stocks are, are making up a bulk of the S&P returns for the year, you can kind of see why. And if you're looking at that, and look at the NASDAQ this year, up 30% for the year. Going into this last week of the year, you're looking at your statements, the, the home gamers, as you call them. Last when are you week of the quarter. Taking, last last week, week of the quarter, quarter yeah. When are you going to start taking some profits? When do you start trimming some of the positions that are up 100, 200% for the year? If you happen to be in some of those stocks that are driving the returns of the S&P, you got to have a discipline. But anyways. Well, and when are those profits going to start shifting? into other parts of the market. When are they right. going to start shifting into some of these good growth at a reasonable price names that have well below S&P 500 valuations that pay a very solid dividend and have great fundamental soundness to them? So I think it's just more of a matter of time. It's not if, it's just when. 
And so this is, again, when you have to have your game plan and you have to be methodical, you have to dollar-cost average, you have to take your time, but you still have to play defense. Let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, I wanted to shift gears a little bit because, Joe, I know you and I had this conversation on Friday. It's a situation that if I've, I've run into, you ran into this situation uh, just this, you know, on Friday doing some enrollment meetings for some of our 401K clients down in the Corpus Christi area. Um, and so I wanted to turn it over to you as kind of the um, – I'm trying to find the words. I, I, I guess it's I, I got it. I got advi- it. advising them on proper uh, maintenance of their 401k as a participant. Okay. So for I don't even know how long I've you know Kyle and I both actually have managed 401ks, done education meetings. Uh, Kyle's background was with a, a record keeper, and, and he he marketed 401ks for a, a particular very large payroll company, probably the biggest in the country. And one of the things you have to make sure of is making sure we called it back in the day, a beneficiary audit, meaning taking a look, A, make sure you have access to your 401k. Don't just set it and forget it and, and not, and, and, and not register and check out your account online. Cause if you do that, most of the time you're going to be able to see your beneficiary current. So we're doing some meetings and uh, getting to the point, you know, one particular, uh, one particular participant, you know, she had her spouse as, as a certain percentage, 50% uh, benef- primary beneficiary and the kids of the other 50. Right, well, the issue is she got divorced quite a while, a while ago. I think she had a current document, which is called a qualified domestic relations order to make sure that she can properly change that beneficiary or her ex-husband from 50 to the kids as a hundred percent beneficiary, if you will. Um, but that's one of the things that we caught. And I think, you know, and Kyle, you have a pretty good explanation. It may not, no, cost, I've got a it's great gonna cost story. You anything. It's going to cost your, your beneficiaries, your intended beneficiaries quite a bit of money. And I think that's, Hey, if you, if you do nothing, but by the end of the quarter, or in the first half of the year, you look at your statements, make darn sure your beneficiary information is updated on your 401ks or your IRA accounts. And by the way, and if your 401k, a lot of times if your 401k goes from one provider to the other, that beneficiary information may not follow you. So if that's happened, make darn sure you're checking yeah. on that. But Kyle, Kyle's a great example of well, what happens if you don't do your own beneficiary audit on your qualified retirement accounts. Yeah, and, and, and this was something that uh, when you brought that up on Friday, Joe, it's like we definitely have to talk about this because this is part of 401K maintenance. And as you were saying, if if your 401K goes from one plan to, to the other, your beneficiary information, who's going to receive your assets if you were to pass away, uh, that might not follow. But a classic, you know, story that I personally had to deal with with a, a longtime client of ours whose son – passed away unexpectedly, 
um, he had his ex-wife, who he had been divorced from for years, set as the 100% primary beneficiary. Now, fortunately, she was very amenable. She understood that this money was to go to his son, which was her stepson, and we were able to get everything figured out. But the issue was, is because our client, who was the executor of her son's estate, wasn't listening anywhere in the paperwork, they pretty much did not speak to her or want to deal with her, and it took us well over a year of going back and forth, lawyers getting involved. It got extremely messy in order to get this done. And by law, the 401K provider could have easily said, this money goes to the ex-wife, we don't care, and she could have kept it. And if she wanted to play hardball, his ex-wife would have been able to keep that money and his son wouldn't got wouldn't have received a single penny. But here was the other problem of this, is this all occurred at the end of 2021. And so going into 2022, everything was frozen. Everything was frozen. And so her son's account lost close to $100,000 in value because he was passed away. The ex-wife was just kind of out of the picture. No one was there to help make adjustments to the allocation. There was nothing we could do at Davidson Capital Management to help because he wasn't a client of ours. His mother, who was the executor, was. And so this wound up, This once we finally got everything settled, which took more than a year to do, and, of course, to the, you know, you know thank the Lord that his ex-wife was as kind-hearted of a woman as she was, the money eventually made it to his son. So the point of the matter is, to Joe's point, to my point, each and every one of y'all, if you're participating in a 401K, you need to go and look online, call your plan administrator, find out who your beneficiaries are and what percentages are allocated to each one of them because this can be swept under the rug. And unfortunately, her son died unexpectedly at a, at a young age. And this was a major, major headache. And like I said, his ex-wife had every right to keep this money, even though they had been divorced for years. And in fact, Joe, there was a Supreme Court ruling about this. I don't know if you're aware of this. And this ruling came out just a couple of years ago of a daughter who was going to be inheriting millions from her father who passed away. But guess what? Had her stepmother his ex-wife listed as the beneficiary, and guess how the Supreme Court ruled? The the, the ex-spouse got it, Mm -hmm. leaving the daughter with nothing. Because he listed listed his ex-wife, he had his ex-wife listed as the beneficiary and his daughter as the contingent. So everyone, listen to us now, believe us later, Check your beneficiary information on your 401k. And that also goes for your IRAs. Any retirement account, Roth IRA, traditional IRA, 401k, you have to make sure you have your beneficiary set right. And one other tip, if you have an IRA, 401k, Roth IRA, do not list your estate as the primary beneficiary. That is an absolute No, no, no. You have to list a human being as the primary beneficiary of your retirement accounts, IRA, 401k, pension, and your Roth IRAs. Never list your estate 
for retirement accounts, though, that are pre-tax accounts. Joe, one thing you wanted to add? Well, I mean, that's the importance of being able to call an advisor, you know, and, right. and, and talk about structuring, how to properly structure that. I've seen it time and time again, Kyle, in, in my career. And it's a good time when you're going halfway through the year and uh, just reevaluate your, reevaluate your beneficiaries and make sure everything is up to date. And, and it, make sure you're paying attention. Log on to your website on your 401k and make sure it's checked out. Make You know, you don't want to check it every day. But what I'm getting at is it's an important thing that you could miss just because you're simply not taking the time to make sure you log on and, and register your account. So. That's right. you got to know what you own, but you got to know who your beneficiaries are. And actually, Joe, I think this is one of the first times in our 18-plus years of doing the Money Wise program that we've actually had this conversation. So it's a great educational piece. Check your beneficiaries. Make sure they're accurate. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as as we like to utilize every second hour of the Money Wise program going into investor education, and any longtime listeners of the program know that we definitely love our top ten lists. Uh, I guess it's a little bit of an ode to uh, to David Letterman. Uh, but we have a top ten list for this afternoon's show called the Ten Myths of Retirement Planning. And so we'll dive right in with myth number one. And that first myth is you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. Now, this I would say the financial entertainment press, the legacy distribution system for Years and years and years, as long as I've been in the business, which you know for me is coming up on 16 years I've been doing this, they have the kind of industry standard that you only need 70 to 80% of what you're currently earning while you're working in retirement to maintain your lifestyle once you are in retirement. And, you know, very honestly, what I try to educate prospective clients uh, that come in here to Davidson Capital Management is that we don't abide by that 70 to 80% of your current income in retirement to maintain your lifestyle. In fact, 
most instances, I say you need 95 to 100% of what you're currently earning now. You need to be able to withdraw that same amount of money in retirement from your nest egg in order to maintain your lifestyle because the one, I think, variable that the legacy distribution system doesn't uh, – calculate doesn't uh, put into their calculation or account for is the fact that what's the one thing that you have a heck of a lot more of in retirement than you do during your working years leisure time that's right you have a lot more leisure time so you have more time to travel if you're into hunting fishing golfing those are not cheap hobbies by any stretch of the imagination or now you're getting into new hobbies that take more time and more money and so, you know, that myth that you don't need as much money in retirement as you do right now, again, I think is a complete myth and it's complete bogus. Do you want to add something, Jeff? Well, go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to say also medical expenses. That's the one thing that uh, that's really the X factor, the unknown factor as you get older because that's, that's true. definitely going up. Well, that's true. We don't know the the inflationary costs of medical care. Obviously, as you get older, you need more and more attention from healthcare professionals. Uh, but I think something else, Dad, that that's a big unknown that's out there. And I think um, I'm not even going out of limb on saying this, but with with the deficits that we currently face and the national debt, I mean, to say that taxes are going to be going down in the future. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I, and so I think retirees or folks that are working towards retirement and building their nest egg, that's something that they need to keep, keep in the back of their mind is, you know, they shouldn't anticipate, oh, well, I'm going to only have a 10 or 12% effective tax rate in retirement because nobody knows what their tax rate is going to be. And again, we're assuming that taxes will be going up as far as the eye can see because of the deficits, because of the national debt that we have. I think maybe turning this myth around and turning it into a question is something that we at Davidson Capital Management do time and again when we're meeting with prospective clients, and they ask this question, well, what do you think the portfolio can produce in income in retirement? They may maybe the, the maybe you don't know exactly what you think you will need, but maybe if you had an estimate of what the por- what your portfolio might produce if you were to retire right now, or if you were to retire say ten years from now at a certain rate of return based on the portfolio nest egg that you have right now, and then apply our maximum withdrawal rate here that we have at our firm of seven percent a year, and say, do you think this number will be? enough money for you to retire on uh, when you reach retirement years. Let's say that the, the, that they bring a portfolio of a certain size and we, and we estimate that it'll grow at 7 to 8% a year for another 10 years, and the number we start off with is a $1 million. We'll just round it off. Well, at our maximum rate of withdrawal, that's $70,000 a year, 7% of a $1 million. So is is 70,000 do you think $70,000 a year based on a $1 million portfolio will be enough to keep your lifestyle where it is right now if we find that there's that the the client is spending $140,000 a year on their lifestyle that's $70,000 in retirement we're not even taking into account any social security of course might not be enough to support their current lifestyle. So now we now we got to now we got to look at okay, are we going to start saving more now 
to increase that nest egg size so that we can get a little closer to uh, to that target uh, income, or do we need to think about uh, lowering living expenses, lowering 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 liver expenses, lowering expectations uh, for income in retirement? All three. Well, I, Maybe I, think, all three. I, I think one thing that a lot of retirees can get or pre-retirees can get in trouble is they go in with expectations that, well, my portfolio needs to be designed to where I'm, I'm outperforming the S&P 500 each and every year. And if you're creating a financial plan that takes that scenario in, 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 into effect, that is extremely, extremely dangerous. And by saying that, I need to have my portfolio outperforming the S&P each and every year. It's unrealistic. It's very unrealistic. And the one, one of the big problems that pre-retirees have going into maybe a professional asset manager relationship is they have unrealistic expectations. And what they need to do is they need to establish a goal, a plan. You know, my goal for this money is to grow 8% per year. Like you said, Jeff, let's sit down and work out a plan. And what are your goals? And say, okay, if you only need to earn 7 maybe 8% annualized, over, you know, after all fees and expenses for a lengthy period of time, let's say the next 10 or 15 years to have a comfortable retirement, then that's really what you should focus on and how you should position your portfolio and allocate it. But if you're the type of investor that's like, i got to beat the S&P each and every year, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and failure because it is next to impossible to do. Well, when we come back from the break, I want to take a different approach. That's that's one type of client that we see uh, here at Davidson Capital, but there's also another type I want to talk about when we come back. Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send our emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're focusing on the second hour of this weekend's program, the 10 myths of retirement planning. We're actually still working on myth number one. Uh, that myth, again, uh, you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. And so we were talking before we went to break about setting goals, and having appropriate goals in place and appropriate expectations in place with your nest egg as you're going into retirement. And, Jeff, I know you wanted to add a little bit to that. Well, that is that is one. We see this that this type of scenario with some prospective clients that are looking for maximum performance. They're, they're, they're very much focused on performance, and we understand that. But I think another type of client that we that we're seeing and maybe this is an offshoot of 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 the new target date funds that have been out here for about the last 10 years and that's this assumption that as i get closer and closer to retirement i need to have more and more of my money in in bond investments and in fixed income investments and less and less in stock because i need to be taking less risk and so by having more money in fixed income well that would be traditionally saying well i'm taking less risk well that's all fine and good in a normal interest rate environment. And I use that in quotations. But 
This is not a normal interest Definitely rate. Definitely not normal. And we have not had a normal interest rate environment for a very long time. And it appears that we may not have a normal interest rate environment for a number of years into the future. So <clears throat> having a asset allocation strategy that as I'm approaching retirement, I need to have less than what we would recommend an, uh, an allocation in stocks in the current rate environment and more of an allocation to bonds, but yet still have a uh, expected rate of return of 8% is not realistic. Mm-hmm. It's not realistic at all. And so m- maybe the two tie together is about having realistic expectations and understanding that in order to deliver those expectations, you have to have a certain ratio of stocks to bonds based on the existing current interest rate environment. Yes, Dave? Well, just say we were looking at a traditional balanced account, which in the old days would be 60% stock, 40% bond. Well, if you're at a 10% return in stocks, that means you're going to get 6% from your stock side of the portfolio. The problem is the 40% that would be sitting in bonds with a 10-year bond, you know, slightly, you know, less than three, you're, you're not getting up to the 7% which we have seen is a safe withdrawal rate going back our 25 years. but And it's because of the bond component. The bond component right now is changing the math on what people need for retirement. But I don't think the retirees are picking up on that fact, Dad. I, I don't think they are. And when you're talking about target date funds putting more money into bonds as people approach retirement, what is the most dangerous asset class out there right now? It is bonds. Fixed income. Because we don't know very how few the people Fed, say it. Very, very few people would say that. No, I, nobody would say that. I don't think other than people that run bonds like us. We either know, than us. Either we, than us. We know, we know that it's dangerous. You get the Bill Grosses of the world that come out and say it's a new normal. They don't want to come out and say it's a new bubble. They don't want to say the bubble word connected with bonds. So are we moving on to myth number two? Myth number two. Myth number two. My retirement years won't last that long. The fact is, today's today, individuals in their 50s and 60s, of course, are generally healthier than previous generations. So if you're 65 years old right now, your life expectancy is approximately 21 years. And with a life expectancy of 21 years means that you have a 50% chance of dying by year 21 and a 50% chance of living longer. So if you're 65 right now, you have a 50-50 chance of of living past 86 years old. And so that, again, goes along with creating that plan and having your goals and realizing, is my nest egg sufficient enough to sustain me till I'm 86 or till I'm 95? And if you and have, nobody knows. And if you have a 7% rate of withdrawal in your portfolio and you've got a 100% fixed income earning you 2%, you're not going to get there. It's not gonna, it may not last 21 years. You know, as I always as I say to prospective clients, if we all knew when the last day on this earth would be for each one of us, man, retirement planning would be so much easier, but unfortunately, and I guess fortunately, we don't know when that day is going to be. Myth number three, you can afford to start planning for your retirement a few years before your retirement date. In fact, it is never too soon to begin planning for retirement. Time is one of the most powerful tools in the accumulation of wealth. The sooner you start to accumulate assets and plan for your retirement years, the better. 
the less you will need to set aside each year in order to achieve the same objective. Now, I've talked about this over and over and over again for a number of years using the example of someone that was just fresh out of college, that just graduated, just got their diploma, and they get their first job. And if they had a, if they, this, this, this $1 million goal to have in your, in your retirement years, you start off your retirement with a one, $1 million nest egg. If you started saving when you were 21, 22 years old and you save for 40 years to get to 62, the, you would have to save what amounts to about a, skipping lunch every day. Brown going bagging out. it. By brown. brown bagging it, going to work. About about $8 a day, it's like $250 a month. If you save that amount of money at 22 years old and you never change it, you would accumulate, and you would accumulate about a million dollars at an eight percent compounded rate of return. You know what our listeners can do? They can just go into Google and Google the term "time value of money" and read the explanation. I mean, it's very, very simple. And and again, if you're someone who's in their forties, maybe in their early fifties, and you haven't started saving for retirement, I mean, this is when you need to buckle down and start putting the pedal to the metal uh, to to try to save as much as possible. It's never too late. As we've always said on the radio show, pay yourself first. But this myth number three rolls right into myth number four for those individuals that have failed to plan for their retirement. And that myth number four is that Social Security will provide enough income for my retirement years. Bottom line, Social Security accounts for approximately 38% of the average retirement of the average retiree's income. So. Uh, you know, you're you're talking, you know, sixty two percent that still needs to be made up. And 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 again, to be very blunt, if you're relying on the federal government to take care of you in retirement, again, you are setting yourself up for failure. We all know the Social Security system is broken. It needs a substantial overhaul. Um, the fact that Social Security benefits with cost of living adjustments or COLA for short, have become smaller and smaller and smaller over the years. Um, If you're one of those individuals that's just relying on Social Security to take care of you, again, you're planning for failure in your retirement years and possibly working to the day that you die. You have to start planning and you have to start putting away. You know, if you follow myth number three, then you're going to wind up falling into the trap of myth number four. So myth number five, I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. Boy, this is extremely, extremely dangerous to think that a traditional pension or defined benefit plan is going to take care of you throughout the rest of your retirement years. And, and again, as, as we all know, Uh, With the invention of the 401k through the Tax Reform Act of 1978, this is where corporate America has been going. They've been shifting away from the defined benefit plan. So there might only be a handful of listeners of this weekend's program that have the luxury of having a defined benefit plan. But we have always recommended at Davidson Capital Management that if you have the ability to take a cash 
lump sum distribution from your pension. And the and the way that you can do that is, first off, your pension has to have over an 80% uh, funding rate by the corporation to take a 100% lump sum. And then if it has a 60 to 80% funded rate from the corporation, you can take a partial lump sum distribution. And then any pension that's less than 60% funded, you're going to have to take the pension payment. And I know, you know, one particular organization here in town that falls in that category of having an underfunded pension. But, you know, the one thing that they don't tell you when they give you the options that you can select at time of retirement, whether to take a lump sum or to take the annuity payments from your pension, is that these pension payments are not adjusted for inflation. So maybe that fifteen hundred. So that fifteen hundred dollars that you started receiving in your pension on month one and year one is going to be buying a heck of a lot less goods and services ten years from now. And I think that's one area that retirees forget that monetary inflation is eroding your purchasing power. And once you start taking that pension payment, there's no going back. You're done. You're locked out. That's what you're going to be getting for the rest of your life. And it's not adjusted for inflation, so each and every month that goes by, you're going to be able to buy a little less goods and services. So you need to keep that in the back of your mind, and that's one main reason, one huge reason why we recommend to take a lump sum distribution, if you can, from your traditional pension. With that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this hour about the 10 myths the ten myths of retirement planning. Um, we've gotten to myth, and we came to the bottom of the hour break. We're on myth number five, uh, which was I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. And as we went to break, was talking about what we recommend to prospective clients at Davidson Capital Management when you can take the lump sum distribution from your pension to do that, for one, so you now have full, complete control of those assets. Also, so you can put those assets to work for you in an allocation model that can provide you with growth and something that's going to be appropriate for you to help make that money last your entire uh, lifespan in retirement, but also to help combat, combat monetary inflation. Because again, that's one thing that the pension provider is not going to tell you at a pre-retirement meeting is that once you annuitize that pension and start taking that monthly check, that's the check that you're going to continue to receive. It's not going to be adjusted for inflation. And so that $1,500, as an example, that you start receiving each and every month will buy less goods and services as every month goes by. So imagine, and think of it very easily, will $1,500 20 years ago buy the same amount of goods and service as it does today? No, because of monetary inflation. That is the one thing that is not discussed enough with pre-retirees. It's one aspect 
uh, of the market that that individuals don't think about a lot, and why I've always been a big advocate that every brokerage statement across this country should have a notation of what monetary inflation was for that reporting period, so they realize, oh, I did lose a little bit of value in my CD because of monetary inflation, or I lost value of my money sitting in cash in the bank vault because of monetary inflation. It, it affects pensions the exact same way. So myth number six, Medicare will take care of my health insurance. And I'm glad that this is on the list of myths because this is a conversation I have when I go through my financial road mapping exercises with clients. When we work with our clients that are working towards that retirement, I don't want to say retirement goal line. I would say retirement is the 50-yard line. So as they're working to the 50-yard line of the field to go into retirement, when I start, when I have our clients work on their monthly budgets, I always want them to put in some type of figure for supplemental insurance to Medicare. I always tell our clients that do not rely 100% on Medicare. And you know the bottom line is, is that Medicare pays less than a half of a typical retiree's medical bills, and that you have to have a supplemental plan. And Dad, I mean, you're absolutely you're an absolute authority on this. No, no, because, no, that's you're absolutely correct, Kyle. And so I always want to build into a retirement budget, and this is again an exercise for any pre-retiree that's working on their monthly budget to include. What do you pay? Around four hundred, uh, five hundred dollars a month. It's getting more and more expensive. It is okay. So uh, your supplemental plan is getting more yes. and more expensive. So I would say, and we've already reduced one of the portions of it. So would you say for a pre-retiree to maybe work in four to maybe six hundred dollars a month for that supplemental policy, uh, or uh, even more? Uh, actually, it's going to be it's going to start to be more than that. Really? Yes. That's what it is. Currently. Maybe six to eight, maybe six to eight hundred dollars. It's uh, it's getting there. It's getting there. So the bottom line is, is that... Well, the problem is, at this point in time, because of Obamacare, we, we don't totally know the effects yet. You know, th- this has not got through the system. And the other thing that doesn't come out in this that they won't tell you is you're not going to see all the same health professionals you saw before. Not every doctor wants Medicare patients. That's true. And so... There's instances where your your specialists are going to change. That's not all. That's another myth too. Is that you may <laughs> you're not, adding myth number eleven. You, you may be going <laughs> you, to San Antonio to see someone you want to see. Myth: You can keep all of your current healthcare yes. providers. Yeah, that that's not myth. even that's your not, primary care. That's positions. not true on Medicare, much less Obamacare. So anyone working out a monthly budget pre-retiree, they need to figure in. A health insurance cost, even if you're going into Medicare because you're going to have to have that supplemental policy. Uh, Myth number seven, all my assets are in safe vehicles for long-term accumulation and do not need to be watched closely. What the heck are safe vehicles for long-term accumulation? What what do they mean by that? There is none. Well, I, I know an annuity salesman would say this annuity, Yes. this indexed annuity, this variable annuity, that's that's safe. It's quote-unquote guaranteed. That talk should have ended Hardy in 08 or 09. I mean, they, they might be talking about certificates of deposit yes. or government bonds. Yes. But those safe that's vehicles it. for long-term accumulation aren't accumulating a whole lot. I was about in, to say. In, they, in today's interest rates. They need to define what is accumulation. <laughs> That's a very loose term Something right less there. than 1% is not accumulating to me. I mean, the, the, the bottom line, anyone 
going into retirement with, oh, I've got everything in CDs, I've got everything in my money market account, I'm, I've got everything in fixed income, I'm safe, I can go on my trips, on my vacations, I can go play with the grandkids and the family, I don't have to think about it, don't have to worry about it. If you don't work with an investment professional who has discretionary control and is a registered investment advisor to manage those assets for you, then you're the portfolio manager. and you cannot- Well, there is a portfolio manager. Whether you hire one or not, you've hired yourself. That's right. Yeah, that, that means that you're the portfolio manager and you cannot fall asleep behind the wheel and following this methodology of, oh, I'm safe, I don't need to watch it closely, again, setting yourself up for failure. This is why we've always used the Money Wise program to educate and to enlighten pre-retirees and retirees that you always have to be vigilant in your portfolio, whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're working with an investment professional, it's something that has to be paid attention to. Well, I mean, you are the portfolio manager on your 401k plan. That's right. That That's right. If you don't have a self-directed brokerage option, and, and again, that brings up another important point, something that a lot of 401k plans don't talk about, is in-service distribution options for participants in 401ks that are age 59 and a half and older. If you're planning on working another five or six years, guess what? At 59 and a half, you have the ability to hire an investment professional, roll your 401k assets out into a self-directed IRA that you can now get professionally managed. And for someone who's amassed 500, 600, 800, a million dollars in their 401k and they don't feel comfortable with what they're doing in their own account, this is when you might want to start looking at your options as you're continuing to work and participating in the 401k for looking at a self-directed, either a self-directed or an in-service distribution option in the 401k. Um, So myth number eight, I can always use the equity in my home to add to my retirement income. Well, this might have been a thought pattern prior to the housing collapse back from 2006 and 2007, and with home values just starting to come back well, and revive. You know, they're bubbling up in here. There's no question about that. They, they are, depending upon what part of the country you live in. Um, but again, as we've always educated and always talked about here on the Money Wise program, is that you should view your house as where you live. Do not view it as an investment. If you have your house paid off, yeah, you have equity built into it. It's kind of a break glass in case of emergency type thing. But if you're developing a financial plan in retirement that revolves around taking a reverse mortgage out or taking a home equity line of credit out and and living off of the equity bills in your house, again, you're planning and setting yourself up for failure. And again, with the financial crisis back in 08, which again, housing market had a lot to lend itself to, to that financial crisis, there's a lot of folks that still could be underwater have zero or very little home equity. Uh, So we always say don't look at your house as a piggy bank. Look at your house as where you live. And if you have equity built into it, fantastic. But don't include it in a financial plan that, hey, this is a register that I'm going to be able to ring if I need to. Anything else you wanted to add? Myth number nine. If need be, my family can always help me out. This is my plan. (laughs) 
Well, that's myth number nine. Yeah, right? that, that's myth. That's myth Usually number myth nine. Number one. Yeah, myth number nine. And the fact is that many people use this as an excuse for dele- delaying retirement planning, but in reality, no one wants to rely on other family members to help them out financially to fund their retirement years. And if anything, these are the years when you want true financial independence and do not want to feel as if you are a burden on your family. There must be some very interesting Thanksgivings out there. I mean, the, the fact that this many people could be getting along, I thought it would be, would be the last people that you'd want to rely on would be family members. You, well, I, I mean, and unfortunately, again, if if you're the type of investor or the lack thereof, not investing, not planning, you know, believing in a lot of these myths that we've already discussed, then you're going to wind up falling into the category where you're going to be looking to your children or looking to other family members to take care of you in retirement and, again, becoming a burden on them. And, and, and I would think that that's, that's not a conversation that any parent wants to have with their child saying, well, hey, Sally, hey, you know, I'm going to be moving in with you now. I hope you have an extra uh, yeah, room in your house. Yeah, I'm going to be, because I did such a poor job planning for retirement, now I'm going to come live with you. How, what do you think about that? Or, or then the parents become a travel agent for guilt trips and say, well, I paid for your college. I did I all this you. for you. I raised you. You owe me this. I would recommend try not to be one of those parents that's a you owe me this kind of parent. You have to do the planning yourself and prepare for your retirement. Well, we're going to take our last commercial break. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up the 10 myths of retirement planning, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. The Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we spent the last hour of this weekend's moneywise program going through the 10 myths of retirement planning and we finally arrived at myth number 10 and that myth is money is everything when it comes to retirement planning Uh, Now, money is important, but it isn't everything because, again, you could have $4 million nest egg saved up, but you're spending $400,000 a year to maintain your lifestyle, and guess what? That nest egg isn't going to last too long. And so you you could have been a fantastic saver, but if you're going into retirement with a massive amount of debt, consumer debt, you know, huge house payment, a bunch of car payments, a lot of toys, a whole high monthly expenses, and and you're leading this very, very extravagant lifestyle, doesn't matter how much you, you, you've saved because you have to pay attention to what you're spending. Yeah. It's about creating a proper balance. And, and, it's, well, and it's pretty rare that we see folks that have accumulated tr- large nest eggs but but also have been have really big spending habits. Usually it's 
their nest egg is moderate to maybe a little below average, but they have big spending habits. Well, well what I see also is we'll sell, see people that save quite a bit of money, and then they get in retirement, and they're way too frugal. They're so afraid they're going to outlive their money, they won't even enjoy, enjoy yeah. some of the fruits of their labor. I mean, I see well, this it, more. It, it's, 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 it's about a happy medium, a happy balance. But I think that it goes back to your point is that retirement planning has to stay flexible. You have to be malleable because life can change in the blink of an eye. Markets change each and every day. Allocations can adjust. You have to be flexible. This is why we're such humongous advocates against, again, let me repeat, against annuities of any shape or form because it takes away that flexibility right. and that malleability. We're, we're very much against taking, if you if you work for a corporation that offers a, a, a pension plan and you and you take the pension payment and don't take the lump sum, we're very much against taking the pension payment because you're locking yourself in to this amount of money for the rest of your life. It will be, never be a penny more or a penny less, and no one knows that that's going to be enough with your other retirement income to get through retirement. So like like Kyle said, and then we'll reiterate it again, flexibility is the key because markets don't stay the same. Life doesn't stay the same. I, I, and, to, and to me, of the ten myths, the one that, that, that really I strikes a chord with strikes you. Strikes a chord. I would not even consider retiring without a supplemental plan to my Medicare. Do not rely on Medicare for your health costs because that is the one guarantee I would say you're definitely going to be using as you get older. So it's death, taxes, and increase in medical care, <laughs> increased cost of medical care. Yes. Those are the three now. It's not just death and taxes. Well, that's right. Inflation and medical inflation care. Inflation is all – I don't know that I've ever lived – in, in two years in a row that we haven't had a pos- positive inflation. We've had inflation practically every year of my life. And, the, and and if I've been living 48, I have no reason to doubt that the next 48 are going to have inflation also. Now, despite what the government says, current interest, current inflation rates being somewhere less than 2%, I don't know anyone that uh, isn't paying more than 2% for their living expenses. And so I'm a little suspicious of how the government's computing these numbers. And, you know, we've always used at least a minimum 3% uh, inflation rate. And so if, if, you're, if you're accumulating assets into retirement and you unfortunately have received advice or believe that as you approach those retirement years, you should have less and less money in stocks and more and more money in, a, in fixed income or bond investments, there isn't a bond investment out there that has a uh, that is uh, what we would consider to be investment grade that's yielding more than three percent unless you go way way out. Well, there's the no one yielding seven, and we're talking about in our experience, our twenty five years, we've seen where you can take seven percent out of a balanced portfolio and still have a portfolio of the size but what you started I'm, with. Yeah, but what I'm saying is is that greater than the you, size you can't even with. get a fixed income investment that we would consider investing in that's investment grade that even reaches what we believe is, is at least the minimum true rate of inflation. 
No, and, and, and again, everyone's inflationary rate is different, but if you're going into retirement anticipating that your inflationary rate's going down, not with medical care costs. No. Not with medical care costs. I don't think medical, co- Medicare costs are growing at, at 3% or less a year. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in, I think it goes college tuition, medical costs. And those so, are and the, probably and that, high single-digit rates of inflation. For for tuition, it's actually I've seen I've seen statistics it's double digits, with 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 college costs. So, you know the, the the bottom the bottom line is is that you have to prepare, you have to plan. As I've always tried to educate on this program, that if if you're listening to this show and you're six months, twelve months out from retiring. This is when you need to start getting on the horse and start interviewing investment professionals that you might be interested in working with, finding out what they have to offer, seeing how they work with their clients, find out if they're taking discretionary control and are acting as a fiduciary, as a registered investment advisor does like we do here at Davidson Capital Management, or are they only going to sell you investment products and do what's suitable for you, which does not which does not mean putting your interests in front of their own or the firm that employs them, you need to start doing that work in advance. Do not get caught behind the eight ball. I don't know how many times I've talked about it on this show, but since we're talking about retirement planning, I always want to bring this up. You know, I've met with some folks that get caught behind the eight ball and they're scrambling to try to figure out who they're going to work with they wind up making a very hasty decision because they sat in one sales presentation said wow that sounds good they threw around the word guaranteed a lot and guaranteed this rate of return and guaranteed that and all these guarantees well i'm just going to sign on the dotted line and then they're toast their portfolio is toast and they're locked into something they've lost their flexibility they lost their flexibility and the bill of goods that was sold to them was completely false smoke and mirrors and then they wind up regretting that and then a lot of times we wind up working with these people where we're having to unwind these hasty decisions that they made and sometimes can cost them quite significantly and it can't be done overnight exactly and it can't be done overnight so you know again you have to plan you have to prepare do not get sucked in to these myths and if there's anything that we can do for you at Davidson Capital Management, you want to talk about your your financial situation, give us a call, 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.